Let me begin this way. This weekend is one in which, and understandably so, it's not a criticism, one of which many take opportunity to go places with family, to flee the city, to whatever. But for those of you who have obviously decided to stay here, I want to ask God to confer on you. And not only have you stayed here and have to deal with the crowds and the traffic, but also the weather that's coming. So I'm hoping and praying that God will confer on each one of you a blessing. Amen. A blessing. Not that you've earned it. But you said, to be in my father's house is too important. Amen. Just felt the Lord wanted me to share that with you. This morning, we're continuing in our mini-series. Now, for those of you who know Keith Collins, they've already started laughing. I haven't said anything and they're laughing. For those of you who know our esteemed pastor, know that when he says certain things, they don't mean anything. (laughs) So when he says a couple of weeks, euphemistically speaking, that could mean months. You should be in meetings with this man if you think it's bad here. (laughs) So this is the seventh week, and I understand that there'll be at least one more. Seventh week of a two-week series. (laughs) And let's face it, eight weeks is going to be brief for this guy. Brief. And each of these words... have to do with the aspects of essential vocabulary in relation to our salvation, in relation to our fellowship with God, and in relation to how that fellowship which we enjoy with our Heavenly Father works out among one another. Now, are these seven or eight words the exhaustive vocabulary of the Christian faith? No, obviously not. But as the Holy Spirit has given leadership, we bring, and Keith has obviously done most of it. Evan, have you spoken to this series? Too bad. As the Holy Spirit has given leadership, we believe these are words or vocabulary words that he wants us have a much greater understanding, apprehension of function and appreciation of. So that's what's happening. This is not a filler because we're in the midst of 1 Corinthians and there's a whole lot going on in 1 Corinthians. So this morning's vocabulary word is one that strikes so much at the very heart and soul of of our fellowship with God. Not that the others don't. But I think that 
certain words that we've been looking at, we know their significance. But I'm wondering whether this word, forgiveness, doesn't impact us and get into us more deeply and significantly and powerfully than maybe any of the other words. We can talk about God's righteousness. Oh, yeah, yeah, great. And even the crucifixion, yes. But when it comes to the issue of forgiveness, I believe that some way we are touched more deeply and more personally than in many of the other words, which doesn't diminish the others. And so this issue of forgiveness is very much at the heart of God's entire purpose for saving us. Without which, none of us could ever know and fellowship with God. So this is one of those central words, these, those words that centrally impact us in a very intimate way. Forgiveness is the cornerstone of our fellowship with God and with one another. It's the very cornerstone of how we relate and if we relate and if we can relate to God. Or put it more accurately, of the way he can and does relate to us, allowing us to relate to him and then to one another. Forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is the reason we were saved and will be kept saved until the return of Christ. We are here this morning as those who are in Christ, those who are saved. We are here today because of the word or the action or the experience, the reality of forgiveness. That's why we are here rejoicing today. We are God's forgiven people. And I want to thank Eric for emphasizing that. Forgiveness is the very power of the gospel. You remember in Romans 1.16, what does Paul say? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God unto salvation. And it's that issue of forgiveness which God brings forth as a result of Christ that allows us to be able to enter into the kingdom of God as his children. And not only has God united us together with himself in forgiveness, but, and here's the rub, here's the problem. I love being united to God through my forgiveness. Anyone with me on that? Say it again, I'm sorry. But here's your problem. We are also united in the same forgiveness to one another. Now, that's a problem for many. We cannot have the forgiveness of God which brings us into fellowship with him without it also being the forgiveness of God, which brings us into fellowship with one another. These are not two different issues. 
These are the outworking of the same thing. One, what? Horizontally and the other, what? What is that to get it back? Vertically and the other horizontally. That's okay. That's okay. You know, you got it. You got it. As long as you understand waving of my hand. You see, what this means is that forgiveness, and it's highly significant, primarily and first and foremost to God. That we not only understand something about forgiveness, but that we function in the good of that forgiveness. And so forgiveness becomes the very atmosphere, the very spiritual breath that we breathe in the church as we walk together as God's forgiven people. It's a very fabric that knits us together in Christ. God's forgiveness. And so, as we relate to one another in the forgiveness that God, with which God has related to us, God is honored and the world is astounded. Because you see, such forgiveness is foreign to the world. This is antithetical to the world. The world hates this. And in fact, aren't we beginning to see an increase, at least seemingly so, of when a person does something or has done something 50 years ago, man, throw the bomb out. I was sharing with someone in a coffee company the other day. She made me stop and talk to her. She's one of the professors at Xavier. And we were chit-chatting. Let me correct that. I think I was doing more of the chit-chat. At any rate, we were sharing about this issue. And I hope you don't mind my saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you don't want to hear it, close your ears. But if you hear it, hear it with the understanding with which I give it. I'm 75 years old. I was raised in New Orleans, Louisiana after we came over on the Queen Mary in 1946. I was born in London. And what were you doing on the Queen Mary in 1946? Mm. And we were raised in New Orleans on Camp in Bellcastle. And we were raised with certain racial proclivities and attitudes. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we were raised saying certain words. So you look at my life, and that's just the least of my life. (laughs) And someone says, ah, In 1952, Pastor Peter said that. Jack, does that unpastor me, should it? But in the world today, what's happening? He should no longer be a pastor. And so what we're finding is that when we offend one another and do something contrary to what 
the world has established as acceptable. We are finding that the issue of forgiveness simply isn't present the way it used to be. Are you with me on this? The problem is this. Don't let that infect us. Amen. Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, 2. One theologian puts it this way. When God condemns us for our sin, he at the same time offers his forgiving love in Christ. Amen. But when, and this was written in the 1870s for goodness sakes. But when people condemn people, which we see regularly, they frequently cast them out and make them the object of their scorn. You see, the world takes any infraction of what it has deemed and established as culturally acceptable. And that, by the way, is changing every other day. I just got used to trying to say LBGD. I I still can't do it. And now I had to put a Q to the end of it. And guess what? If I don't say it right, you may laugh. I'm going to be very much reprimanded by the world. So the word, the Q has changed from a word which we used to use meaning a a fun time, gay time, to something that categorized a group of people who practice same sex to now, I don't know what it means anymore. But I know it's changed. In fact, I was told this the other day, and that's how I've heard about that. Oh, what are you talking about? You can actually say Q? Now it's a word that's no longer derogatory. Oh. But you see, if there's any infraction of this, there is a refusal and a withholding of a forgiveness, at least, that the world thinks at least it can practice. Because you see, here's the secret. No one can truly forgive except in Christ. Don't let the world know that. There is no such forgiveness except in Christ, and there's no such thing as one person forgiving another except in Christ. And this refusal should never be among us. You see, at the cross, we have each one been shown to be equally guilty of sin. Now, you say we say amen, and and you're right to say amen, Ray. But we don't believe it. Come on. It's good to say amen. Theologically, that's true. Each one of us has been judged guilty equally at the cross, correct? But we don't believe that. Now, come on. How many of you think that what that person said or did to you was worse than anything you ever did do? 
I hear some laughter. Are you with me? But the truth of the matter is there is no such thing as doing something to another and so on that is worse than whatever. And so not only have we been equally guilty of sin, but we have been equally, equally, one more time, equally what? Forgiven of that sin. Equal guilt and equal forgiveness. We don't believe it. The problem is, it's true, but we don't believe it. You know, Keith and Evan and Ronald and I have sat and do continue to sit in many meetings where there's relational strife and difficulty, especially marriages. And there's a lot going on in these marriages that need to be dealt with. There's a lot of sin going on. May I say this in passing? Only sin can damage a relationship and fellowship. Can you get that in your heart? So where you see a damaged relationship or fellowship or a strain or whatever... Sin is at the root. Or it is the root. So we sit there. And this issue of forgiveness becomes a mountain. A mountain. Between these two. Haven't we seen this? A mountain. And the mountain often is this. Not that either one don't believe they've been forgiven. But the mountain is this. I've been hurt. I've been slandered. I've been ignored. I've been attacked. My honor, my, the fidelity of my marriage is under attack. Through adultery or whatever. Whatever. The problem is, forgiveness on the part of a believer is a death to something about me that I'm holding against someone else. It's a death. To something of the natural person. It's a death to pride. In any particular area. So you're asking me to forgive her for that? You don't know what he said. You don't know. And so forgiveness becomes an issue. Because the hurt. The disappointment. Becomes an issue larger than. And to me more significant. Than the very forgiveness. With which I have been forgiven. At the cross. And unfortunately we've seen how many marriages. Too many. How many is too many? One. Too many marriages. 
either cripple along or even break up. And one of the primary reasons is this issue of forgiveness is not functioning biblically between these two people. And so, what damage is done? Where's the damage? The damage primarily isn't to the man and the woman or the two friends or whoever. The damage is to the one who gave his life for our forgiveness. You see, when we withhold or refuse or whatever we want to call that, forgiveness, rather than giving full forgiveness, we are diminishing and insulting the one who has given us full forgiveness of crimes that were eternally greater than anything we can do to one another. I hope as I speak today, the Holy Spirit is plowing our hearts. And if he is, don't shut him up and shut the door. Hopefully leaving here today, we will leave refreshed, having allowed the forgiveness with which we have been forgiven to begin to function toward others. By the way, one more thing. Some teach, even in the church, not this church, we first must forgive ourselves. I have one comment about that. May I say it my way? Here's the content. You must forgive yourself. It's not biblical. It's impossible. It's idolatrous. It's detrimental. It's demonic. You can't forgive yourself. So if you hear that teaching, the least you do is not to accept it. Search your Bible. You see, when one person does something against another in any way that would require forgiveness, to talk about and ask that person who has been hurt to forgive the one who has hurt them. First of all, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but at least in your own mind, how many of you would say this? Well, I don't believe in forgiving unless they ask for it. Oh, you better be glad you didn't ask God to forgive you before he saved you, honey child. Ain't nobody be saved that way. Who in the world ever told us that foolishness? Didn't come from the Holy Spirit. Anthony, it comes from Satan. I'll only forgive if they ask. Who are you? You're greater than God. Put this filth out of your mind. Allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse you. So that's the first thing. Well, if he asks, I'll forgive him. 
But here's the way you forgive them. Some of you remember blow it up like a woodpecker. We used to say that years ago. So here's the problem. Problem, problem. When you get old, your tongue gets heavy. Here's your problem. I have been hurt. And someone should. Say it loud. Someone should pay. May I share a secret with you? Someone has paid the full price already. So the husband's adultery has been paid for. The wife's jealousy has been paid for. Has been paid for. I don't like that, you see, in the flesh. Because I want to be I want the satisfaction in some way to see that other person at least pay something. Are you with me? And yet you see, something has been paid fully at the cross. These are the things that infect us as a church, don't they? Am I speaking about us or somebody else? You see, to either withhold or in any way couch our forgiveness in these kinds of terms denies the full forgiveness of God in Christ. So the next time you think that way, the next time any of us act that way, We can just as soon say, hey, God, I am denying what you have done at the cross for me. Oh, I wouldn't want to do that, Mo. No, don't do that. I don't want to do that. Dwayne, I don't, I don't, no, no, no way. But you're doing it anyway. Full forgiveness. Let's take the next three hours and talk a little bit about the necessity of forgiveness. Well, it's going to be raining in any way, so let's stay here. The necessity of forgiveness. I'm going to go through some things we already know. This is not because you don't know something. It's because Second Peter 1, 11 says, I'm going to repeat and I'm going to continue to repeat. You need me to repeat. It's good for you. So when I'm gone, you can remember it better. So this is apostolic teaching here. Repetitive, repetitive. <laughs> Why is forgiveness necessary? Because of sin. If there were no sin, there would be no need for forgiveness. So we can see that the word forgiveness has to do with one issue only. Sin. Sin is the only issue that has severed our fellowship relationship with God and breaks down the fellowship, the relationships within the church. Only sin. As I said before, God has created us for eternal fellowship with him. But, Romans 5.12, God has created us for fellowship. But here's what Romans 5.12 says. Sin came into the world through one man, remember Adam. And death through sin, so that death spread to all men. And this death 
is not only a cessation of physical life, which is a type of it, but this death is a death to a relationship and a fellowship. That's the death here. Romans 1.18, I'm sorry, Isaiah 59.2 says this, the Lord is speaking. He said, your iniquities, your sin, your trespasses, your disobediences have made a separation between you and your God. And so in order to restore and maintain his original intention... When sin came in to sever the fellowship, the intimacy, the relationship between humanity and God, God, because of his own character, knew he would have to pay the price at the cross. You see, all of this was in the mind and the heart and in the intention of God before he ever started the whole process of creation. A separation. And that's just part of the problem. You see, you tell somebody, well, you know, you're a sinner. You're separated from God. What do I care? I don't believe in God anyway. James, I don't believe in God. What do I care? And that's why you always, when you're sharing with someone and you're trying to explain the difficulty and the detriment and the danger and the death of sin, you must go the next part. That separation is not just you can have your life over here and doing whatever you want to do because God ain't and do that. No, that separation requires that you be under the wrath of God forever. Remember what Romans, remember Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, so on, right? For in it, in verse 17, in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Remember that? Then what does 118 say? For the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness of men. So there's your problem with the separation. Now, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say this. All of the miseries of the human race, all of the ruined relationships, all of our woes, all of our disappointments and failures, all of the atrocities, all of the disasters, all of the diseases and every death, and above all, the loss of all our fellowship with God, all can be traced back to just one source, sin. And there is only one remedy for that. Our sin must be put to death in death's death at the cross. There's only one remedy. The result being the forgiveness of God. Only then can be restored. So there is an absolute necessity of forgiveness in the life of every human who walks the face of the earth. Secondly, the meaning of forgiveness. Here's what we go wrong. Jeremiah 31, 34 says this. I will forgive their wickedness or their sin. I will no longer, I will remember their sins again. I will remember their sins no more. And so once in a while you hear this foolishness. When you're saved, God doesn't even know you're sinning anymore. He doesn't even remember it. 
You are so saved and so forgiven that when you sin, God doesn't remember it. He doesn't have any idea about it. What kind of a turkey gospel is that? Well, doesn't the word say that I will remember their sin no more? Doesn't it say that? Therefore, preacher, get it straight. No, you get it straight. Go to the Hebrew and understand the word remember. It has to do with recognize. I will no longer recognize their sin. In other words, I will, because of forgiveness, no longer hold your sin against you in a penalty detrimental punishment way. This is good news. It's impossible for God to punish one of his children. It's impossible for God to take even one sin of one person one time and hold it against them if that person has been forgiven in Christ. I will no longer relate to you and fellowship with you and commune with you and walk with you and minister to you and with you in a way that will hold any of your sin against you. This is freedom. Are you with me? Are you awake today? This is freedom. So what that means in a different way, and I'm not sure if Ronald said this last week, he may have. This means God remembers every sin you ever committed. Hmm? Yes, indeed. Every sin you have ever committed, God knows about. He's not like Peter Davidson or Keith Collins. We don't remember yesterday. You see, Governor, he remembers everyone. Everyone. Every sin. Paul, every sin. Yet he remembers everyone as forgiven in Christ. He remembers everyone having been fully, finally, and forever paid for at the cross. That's Good remembrance. And as a consequence of that, he now sees us as only God can do. As if, may I repeat that word, those two words, as if we had never sinned. Now that's our status with him. Hmm? That may not be our behavior, but it is our status. As if we had never sinned. Right. But what does that mean for one another? Wait a minute. This is how I'm supposed to relate to others in the church. (laughs) Yes. Amen? Yes. To refuse to do so lies about 
what God's Son did for us. It's serious. And how can he forgive every sin? Because of John 19, verse 30. What does that verse say? Jesus said what? It is finished. Greek tetelestai meaning what? Paid in full. And when God says full, what does he mean? Henry, what does he mean? Everything. Ain't nothing left out of full when God says full. When we say full, you eat all your peas? Yeah, I ate all my peas and half of them are still on the plate, right? We just move them around. Put them under a piece of bread so no one sees them. The other night, Gene gave me some, what do you call that? Uh, on the cob, corn. Put them on my plate, ate two or three of them, put something over it. Hey, I'm finished. Yeah, I'm just an old little boy. <laughs> right, Ray? <laughs> what is the means of forgiveness? Again, this is repeating. We know this. John 1, 14. Remember John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. In the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. That does. Go down to verse 14. And the word, meaning the son of God. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us and we beheld his glory that glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth there's the means of our forgiveness right there in that verse that's the means that verse begins to fulfill genesis three fifteen, the seed of the woman that verse is in the mind and heart of purpose of God in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, knowing that when Jesus created by the authority given to him by God the Father, he would also have to become enfleshed or incarnate as a human being to go to the cross. What kind of obedience is that? Why the incarnation? Why? 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So in keeping with God's promise in Jeremiah 31.34, remember to remember their sins against them, no more. To forgive our sins in keeping with that promise and remember them no longer. How would Jesus accomplish our forgiveness? How would he do this? Well, Matthew 26.28 tells us Jesus is at the meal. The final meal, the Lord's Supper. And what does he say? This is my blood of the covenant, or the new covenant, Luke says, which is poured out for many. Why? Why? For the forgiveness of sins. And why is Jesus pouring out his blood for the forgiveness of our, uh, of our sins? So that the Father's initial, original purpose in creating could be accomplished. He created humanity for intimacy and fellowship as his image bearers. Sin came in and disrupted that. 
But God is not to be overcome and will not be defeated. So from Genesis 3, 6, all the way to the incarnation, God is moving toward bringing another man, another Adam, who will, in fact, accomplish all of his purpose for creation of humanity and at the cross pay for all of the iniquity and the sins of all his people all those years so that in the resurrection he will send his Holy Spirit to begin to gather his people into his church as his forgiven people. So what does this mean? It means that forgiveness, you know, we all do this. I think we're all guilty of this. I know I am. I think of forgiveness and use the word forgiveness sometimes. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. But I need to stop. And every time I hear and say that word, I need to contemplate the cost to God of that forgiveness. There's no higher cost. You know, she won't mind. Debbie Basil's here. Are you here? Where are you, Terry? Stand up a second. No, it's okay. Your husband's here. He'll catch you. Debbie's son, Blake died a year and a half, two years ago. I can't say the word funeral without her heart being gripped because it's too personal. And others of you. Ronnie, are you here today? Where are you? Somewhere. Bob, funeral means something to you, doesn't it? And to all of us. It means something. The word forgiveness means something to God. It means the very giving of his own son. And so when we hear and when we use the word, let's ask the Holy, let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us a deeper appreciation of this. See, this is the meaning of John 3.16. What a price. What is the result of forgiveness? When you sin, anyone in here not sin? Usually when I raise my hand like that, somebody's hand goes right on up with me. You're getting pretty good about this, aren't you? When you sin, as a believer, we're talking about believers. Unbelievers, you don't have this. You have to be born into the kingdom of God. But as a believer, when you sin, do you or are you coming to the place of feeling forgiven? I didn't say Oh, you're not feeling shame for what you did and sorrow. That's different. But when you sin, oh, you all of a sudden becoming worried about you and God. About what he will do. About how he will get back at you and make you pay. 
You see, forgiveness is a very tangible thing in our lives. I remember years ago, it was in the early 70s, and I'm reading in Colossians. I don't even know who the Colossians are at that point. I'm just reading in Colossians. I don't even know why I was reading in Colossians. And I came across Colossians 2.13. You should know that verse. I'm going to say it to us in a little bit. And I still had that old Bible on my shelf. You know, you have to retire these Bibles every once in a while. Frank still uses his, but your words are more prominent now than God's words. You have so many notes. (laughs) And here's what I read. Because you see, for several years as a believer, when I sinned, I had the normal shame. Okay, yeah, I get that. Right, sorrow. But I felt burden about my relationship. Not fellowship, but relationship with God. What about me and God? What's, what's going to happen? Am I saved? Am I going to be kept saved? And then I saw these words. Having forgiven. What tense is that, English teacher? James. Having forgiven. Punch him. He's not awake. Having forgiven is what? Past tense. Present, past, future. Having forgiven is past tense, right? It's something that's happened. Having forgiven us. Gray, what's the next word? Do you know it? If you don't know it, brothers and sisters, you need to learn this verse. Having forgiven us what? Oh, 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 oh. How much, Murph? Murphy, how much? All. All our sin. I'm an old school teacher. I call on students. So stay awake, stay with me. And when I saw that, Mike, I took a pen, red ink, and circled it, and I jumped up and celebrated all of it. I had never heard that before. We were still in the other church. We had never heard that before. And what it did, it freed me to be able to begin to repent of sins, to be cleansed from the impurity and the bondage that sin creates in me, accepting the total, complete forgiveness of God in Christ for every single sin of my entire life. It freed me. Because, you see, I was no longer under the bondage of fear. What is God going to do? But under the captivity of grace. Of grace. And shackles that day fell from my soul. And the shackles were not put there by God, but they were put there in the flesh by Satan. And through misunderstanding and bad teaching of the word of God. You need to get this deep in you. This is the work of God. So what are some of the Godward results of our forgiveness? 
We have been forgiven of every sin, so I'll read it. Colossians 2.13, and you who were dead in your sins and your trespasses on circumcision of your flesh, God has made you alive with him, having forgiven us. I can't hear you. I'm bad. I'm, I, I don't have my hearing aids on. Can't you? If the saints were winning right now, you'd certainly be louder than that. Oh, it's okay. We're a charismatic church to do this. Ronald's looking around like, what's happening in here? This is freedom. 1 John 1, 7. For the blood of Jesus, God's son, has cleansed us. What? From all sin. This is a result of God's forgiveness. If you don't see this miraculous, incredible, astonishing, unbelievable truth, the enemy will stomp you every time you sin and keep you in the captivity of the activity of sin. Notice I didn't say in captivity, making you captive, but in the activity of sin. I'm freed from that. So when I sin today, yeah, I know that it surprises you, but I'm a human being. I know that you don't think I am, but I am. Ask my wife. Better not ask her. Ask someone else. <laughs> when I sin today, I confess my sin. Father, I'm wrong. I've sinned. Give me the grace of repentance. Not to be forgiven, I am forgiven, but the grace that will cleanse me of the impurity and the bondage and the detrimental, deadly effects of that sin. Forgiveness. We have been freed from the domain or dominion of Satan. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Christ, <clears throat> having delivered us from the domain or the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. God, rather, has delivered us. The kingdom of his dear son. In whom, in Christ, we have been, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sin. How have we been transferred? Because we have been forgiven. And no forgiven person can be in Satan's kingdom. Forgiveness is applied to those whom God saves at the cross. And in that forgiveness... He takes us out of Satan's dominion and places us where? In the kingdom of his own son. We're no longer under the wrath of God. Remember 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Jesus delivers us from the wrath of God. We're no longer under the punishment. Romans 8.1. There's therefore now what? There's therefore when? Now. When? Now. When? Now. Not when we get to heaven. When? Now. No condemnation. How much condemnation? No condemnation. Who? For those where? Who are in Christ. We've been restored to fellowship with God. St. Peter 1.4. God has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers. That's the word for koinonia, koinonia for you. Fellowship with the divine nature. We're now God's beloved and blessed children. 1 John 1, 3. I'm sorry, 3, 1. See what love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called what? The children of God. And so we are. 1 John 3, 1. 
These are the benefits of our forgiveness. These are some of the things we need to know, not just to hear someone say one morning, but to get into our hearts by knowing these scriptures. So when the enemy comes to accuse you of guilt when you sin, you can throw back into that liar's face these scriptures from God about you because of his forgiveness in Christ. What are some of the manward, our relationship results? God's forgiveness not only restores us to fellowship with him, but with one another. Now, I want you to take a moment, and probably many in here can answer this question. And write it on your notes. I'm not going to look at them. Who in your life do you believe in some way doesn't deserve your forgiveness? Or with whom you are having difficulty to forgive? Is there anyone at all? Write it down. Holy Spirit's telling some of you that and you're just sitting here. I'm not going to look at it. You're going to look at it. And above all, the Holy Spirit knows what you're not writing and why you're not writing it. And you don't want to be calling him a liar because he doesn't lie. Is there someone in your life that, man, You see, now as God's forgiven people, we are able to relate to one another in the very same way as God relates to us because we are forgiven. Colossians 2.13, remember? Having forgiven us all our trespasses. And then in 3.13 of Colossians, forgiving one another, how? As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. You see, forgiveness is not about me and my circumstances, nor is it about the other person. Forgiveness is about God. And denying it, refusing it, withholding it is about God. I may experience some of the consequences in my relationships, but the real detriment is in my fellowship with God. You see, it says must forgive. And to refuse and to withhold forgiveness to any extent. To refuse and withhold forgiveness to any extent. Denies that God has forgiven us fully. Are you with me? Has God withheld forgiveness from any believer in here to any extent at any time? Can any of you stand up and say, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and God has withheld forgiveness from me? No. If he has, Phil, God's lying, isn't he? And God is not a man that he should lie. And so to act otherwise toward Another or others, especially in the church, is to deny this most central and precious and costly 
work of God the Father through God the Son. I don't want to live that way. You see, such refusal or rejection or denial or whatever fosters a disconnection of the very fellowship that the blood of Jesus shed in order to restore us through his forgiving, cleansing power. We're undoing, or at least attempting, rather, we can't undo, but we're attempting to undo the very work of the atoning work of Christ at the cross. It's a rejection of God's purpose in the death of his own son. Let's remember this. When needing to forgive, Eric, I don't know where you are. When needing to forgive, and you're going to get the opportunity many times because the devil is going to come a-knocking and give us many opportunities. Aren't you glad you're here today? We must remember this. Forgiveness is about for and from God. And the way we administer it and walk in it says something about the central purpose of God. It's for God's glory. It's for God's honor. So here's a question I'm hoping each one of us will seriously answer. Or rather, ask God. And I'll close with this. Survey your relationships today, yesterday, a year ago, whenever. Survey the worst of them. And ask this question. Do I want God to forgive me the way I forgive others? Yeah, but that's God, Chris. Yes, it is. And now we have the mind of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. Amen? Contemplate this word this week, the meaning of it, the significance of it. Be ready for the attacks of the enemy to challenge you. And when the challenge comes, call upon God the Spirit And ask for his power to resist the enemy and receive that to show the enemy, yes, I am not only a forgiven child of God, but I forgive in same manner. Amen? give us an opportunity to pray in a rather challenging category today and to give you an opportunity to come forward and pray in a rather challenging category.
know, Peter began by sharing with us, which is part of, part of why we're doing this series, is that the world told the group of pastors that we were with this past week in some meetings the world is out discipling the church its influence its ideas it's it's getting in underneath our skin at such a rapid pace and so effectively i mean we're tuned in a lot we watch a lot we see a lot and being godly versus being worldly those those dimensions we don't see an alarming disparity anymore So that we could be sitting here today, having been walking for months, maybe years, with unforgiveness in our hearts, and come in and out of these meetings, sing these songs, and yet be out of relationship with another person. And I don't just mean out of relationship. I mean unwilling to reconcile the relationship, unwilling to be the person who initiates the reconciling of that relationship because you are the person done wrong. Now beware of this because you're going to walk out into this world. It's going to send you this message over and over and over again. If you are the victim and the world has made that category the prominent category of human existence, if you ever become the victim What the world is teaching you is the only thing that you should be pursuing is repair and repayment. If you ever get on the wrong end of being treated a certain way, then you are right to demand repayment. That's why the issue that Peter pointed out earlier, people just fire them, just get rid of them, just disqualify them, just set them aside. There's never any discussion of anything beyond that. There's no discussion of forgiveness. If you get on the wrong side of three or four issues today in our society, you'll never be given another chance. You're done. And the world is teaching us something about that. What if, what if God's posture had been repair and repayment? And humanity had sinned against him and he folded his arms and he says, when you repair what you have done, then I will think about a relationship with you. Can you imagine? No hope, right? That can't be done. But God takes the initiative. The hope of God was restoration, was reconciliation. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While, and it, two verses later goes even farther, while we were his enemies, God reconciled us to himself. It, it wasn't when you and I decided, okay, I'm going to repair and repay. I'm going to do everything right towards you now. I was so wrong. God took action of forgiveness toward us before we did anything in his direction. And that's what I want to ask you today. You know, we're, we, this series is about a bunch of words that you and I are going to need to live in 2019. There's a script to be written. Our lives are to testify of the miracle-working God that we've met. He does amazing things. He rewrites our lives. He enables us to be people we never could have been apart from Him. To take action that is miraculous. Forgiveness is miraculous. And God makes it possible that you and I would live a life this year with people that have been a part of our story 
that we would act the miracle in their life. We would bring to them the forgiveness that we have received with the pursuit of reconciliation, not reparation. I'm looking for you to repair and fix what you've done. I hope you will. But if you don't have a heart to do that, do I have a a heart to pursue reconciliation? That's what God is like. So so here's here's the, the challenging part for us. That could be really, really difficult to do. Because somebody may have really, really hurt you. And I'm not trying to say you weren't hurt. I'm just trying to say that's not the final word in your story going into 2019. You, you have been hurt. But God still has a work to do through your life. So I want you to think in the hard categories because... It's one thing to have to forgive the Walmart person because they forgot to put that in your bag. You got home later and you didn't have it. That's, that's pretty easy, isn't it? I'm talking friends and family. If you want to find the hard spaces to be a restorer, to act in reconciliation, to walk in forgiveness, think friends and family. Think of family members that have hurt you that you at best want to avoid at worst you'd like to hurt them see God pursues us in reconciliation when there's an issue of forgiveness between us this this is a miracle isn't it when God does that See, when's the church going to be miraculous? When are we going to be salt and light in the world in such a way that we do stuff that blows people's minds that we come after them in reconciliation because we've tasted forgiveness. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd I'd like to have some folks have the opportunity to pray with you for the miracle of reconciliation in your life. That if you know right now there are significant people in your life where you have broken relationships and you are wrestling with unforgiveness as this has been described today, Could we just pray for the miracle of of reconciliation to take place in that category? Maybe it's a person you haven't been able to speak with. Maybe for some it's because you're unwilling, but maybe it's not because you're unwilling. Maybe you are willing, but they're unwilling. Could we pray with you that God would break into that situation with his power and his grace and you would find a means through God's leading to bring the grace of forgiveness into that person's life again. This is not an easy category, but let's do hard stuff. If you have a situation like that, I'm going to pray for us in just a moment, and then I'm going to invite you to come up, and we're going to pray for a miracle in that category. And The big miracle might be just a breakthrough of your own heart for a willingness and an eagerness to extend something miraculous into somebody else's life. Or it may be that we're going to pray that God would do something in their life that would allow you to bring that grace to them and open a door. Let me just pray for us, and then I'm going to ask you to respond. Father, we have been forgiven much. Sweetest thing of our lives is 
reconciliation to you, a relationship we never should have had another chance at. And that was done by your initiative. Lord, you made the first move. You came after us. That's what forgiveness feels like. God, here in this room are people who have done life with other people. Lord, that can be painful. It can be disappointing. We can get hurt. We can feel neglected, overlooked, offended. But Lord, that's not the last word. So Lord, we pray this morning where there have been impossible situations, where there has been pride and anger and harsh words, attack, undermining, gossip. God, where these things have taken place, Lord, those things are not the last word. God, we want you to have the last word. We, we want to live this year courageously and miraculously. The God who has chased us down to pursue reconciliation through forgiveness. Lord, we want to be that kind of person as well. We want to do our own chasing down for the sake of forgiveness. So Lord, give courage to each person here who right now is wrestling with an issue, a relationship like that. Lord, may this morning open a dam that floods into these relationships. Grace, healing, restoration, miracle. If you're here this morning and and God wants you to respond to that. Go ahead, get up from where you are and come forward and, and stand. And I want to invite some folks to just to come pray for a miracle in this category. The greatest miracle. I know there's signs and wonders all throughout the Bible. People get healed. Prophetic words get given. But you know, there's no greater miracle than for a sinner to be restored to a perfect God. That's the miracle of all miracles. Listen, God prizes reconciliation. And you have something in you that God has brought by his spirit that is precious and powerful to give away and share with others. This is a this is a major issue. If you're here today and there has been an unforgiving attitude or spirit that's in you that you have been cooperating with, please do do not walk another day with that. You are inviting something into your life that will bring its own types of destruction. And, and you invite the kind of thing from God that God begins to oppose you. Can you imagine? I mean, you remember the story about the servant who was forgiven much by his master, who turns around and is unforgiving to another. Do you remember how that master responded to that servant? That's supposed to intend to teach us something about the heart of God. It doesn't make any sense to 
to God when he forgives us with the level of offense that we have brought to him and then you and I refuse to forgive someone who's offended us. Please stop thinking God understands that because the hurt was so bad. He understands that. God doesn't understand that. So don't make friends with that thought. And and don't think you're safe to keep doing the Christian life. Partner with unforgiveness. There can be no partnership like that. So take advantage of this moment. God's got purposes for you in this coming year. Don't let this stay another moment in your life. And bigger than that, be a miraculous presence in these people's lives that may be in your own heart. That you're going to act toward them with reconciliation and restoration and forgiveness. Listen, that's going to take some courage. You guys believe that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do some things that make up the Christian life. Yeah, we do, don't we? Could you come pray for these guys? I'm not, I'm not sure they need any counsel, quite honestly. I don't, I don't know that they need any counsel. They have responded by coming forward, acknowledging that there is a real situation here. I think they know what to do. They just need help. They need brokenness. They need power. They need a filling of the Holy Spirit. They need a fresh reminder of how forgiveness has come to them taste it and they need to believe they need some faith to believe that they take action toward another person that God will join them in that alright before I turn you guys loose to pray let me just say one thing to everybody who's come up here and prayed I believe God is trying to give you a heart of reconciliation I do not believe God is trying to posture you to do this to have some self-superior attitude that you're going to leave here with the attitude that I'm going to go to somebody else and I'm going to let them know that I forgive them. Can I, can I just warn you that may not at all be what God has for you. Unless a person has come to you and used the words, would you please forgive me? For you to pontificate over their life and say, I just want you to know I have forgiven you. It is an, an exclamation of your superiority over them. I don't think that's what God's doing here. I think what God is doing is asking for you to have a heart of reconciliation toward them. In as much as that's going to be possible, and we're going to pray this morning that miraculously God would make it possible. So please pray with these guys. Please join us in praying. You guys can stand up together. Eric's going to lead us. Let's stand up. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him for power. Lord, we thank you that the life that you have called us to live is not a life of our best efforts, although our efforts are involved. It's not about our strength. It's not about our determination. God, it's not about us acting apart from you. It is about you enabling us to live these lives. You've called us to something. You've called us to follow you. 
You've called us to go into the world. You've called us to be in relationships. You've called us to bring something to people, the gospel, the good news. God, that good news touches us a certain way that it makes us into a certain person. God, when forgiveness comes to us, it humbles us. It breaks us. It cuts the legs out of our self-superiority because we know we are the ones who have been done the favor by the God who was offended by us. Lord, that postures us a certain way. God, would you fill us this morning with an awareness. God, open our understanding that we might know what it means to have been forgiven by you. So that it just makes sense that anybody who has offended us, who has hurt us, we still have this heart of reconciliation because that's the heart you came with, Lord. You did not send your son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved, might be reconciled to you. God, we want to have that attitude. God, fill us with a heart of reconciliation and restoration. Fill us this morning, Lord. God, we pray over these relationships that are broken right now. That have been severed by sin. Sin that's been real and pain that's been real and disappointment that's been real. Consequences that have been real. But God, we're praying for these moments, these relationships, this time right now. God, would you bring miraculous influence into these settings? Lord, in coming days, would you open doors for conversations? God, would you somehow take that which is impossible, a phone call that never gets received or returned, a text that gets ignored. God, would you change that in the days ahead? God, would you go before these individuals who have a heart to pursue reconciliation and bring favor into those settings. Bring responsiveness with people. God, bring faith and courage into their lives where they have been told no and the door has been slammed in their face and the worst of things perhaps have been said, Lord, so it just makes sense to stay away. But God, would you bring faith and courage to bring a word to bring care, to seek one more time, to have a conversation, to come in brokenness. Oh God, that's miraculous that you'd break the pride of our lives that demands that somebody do right by us. God, would you break that? Would you send us, Lord, with a word, the word you brought to us, Lord, that same word that we want to be restored. We want to be reconciled. Got to pray for wisdom, Lord, for each of these as they contemplate. How, how do I take this step? How do I initiate that? How do I deal with past issues that have made this so hard? God, this world is dark and it is broken. God, we are here with light. Lord, let us shed that light into the darkest of places where harm has been done. 
God, make us those kind of people. Make us that kind of church, Lord, who can go to places that need a miracle. And God, you show up with us in that place. Thank you for this this word of forgiveness. Thank you for reminding us of the sweetness and richness with which it comes to us. Lord, make us different than this world. God, make us to be those who seek restoration and reconciliation, not those who demand that you repair what you've done to me and act in unforgiveness. God, help us. Help us to testify of you in our lives and to bring glory to your name. This we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, for any of you guys, and maybe if you didn't respond today and, and you want to pursue reconciliation with somebody that you'd say, hey, it's Keith, it's just not that simple. It may not be. So if you need some wisdom in how to do that and you want to come meet one of the pastors and just see if we can help pray through some things with you, please do that. Come let us know that and and we'd be glad to connect with you. All right, love you guys. Y'all have a great week.